This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. You may be seated. We're in the middle of a two-week series uh, under the banner, Thy Kingdom Come. Last week was the first week, so if you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon, especially because I had a few really good jokes that I really want you to hear. Okay, I'm just kidding. Well, I'm not kidding. They were funny, but that's not why you need to go listen to the sermon. Uh, but just to recap... We talked about this prayer, thy kingdom come, and how we read a Bible that speaks of an incomprehensibly powerful God. And there's a part of us that says, well, shouldn't there be more extraordinary things in our lives? Shouldn't our lives be more extraordinary? But then at the same time, we look around and we see that most of what makes up the daily stuff of our life is very ordinary. So as Christians, we're caught in this tension between the extraordinary and the ordinary, wondering which is it supposed to be? And of course, we said, well, actually, it's both. As Christians and disciples of Jesus, our life will have elements of extraordinary kingdom moments, but those kingdom moments are breaking in in the small and the ordinary and the stuff of everyday life. So last week, we focused more on the extraordinary, the heavenly quality that our lives are supposed to have. This week, we're going to focus a little bit more on the earthly side, everyday mundane, where is it that we see the kingdom of heaven breaking in? And as we look for the kingdom of heaven to break in, Jesus helps us out. He tells us where to look. Now, on your sermon page, there's an additional gospel uh, passage printed, a short parable. And Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But... When it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so big that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So Jesus is saying, you want to look for the kingdom of heaven, look for it in the small, hidden, unnoticed corners of everyday, ordinary life. And it'll begin to grow. The mustard seed, smallest of all seeds, becomes a tree in the largest of all the garden plants. So we'll talk a little bit about what does that mustard seed, ordinary kingdom, faith, and life look like. And then we'll talk about, okay, at the nexus of extraordinary and ordinary, how is it that we, we see the kingdom of heaven coming in in the ordinary? And we'll talk about the power of prayer. All right, but first, what does that mustard seed faith look like? The prophet Zechariah, when he's writing to the exiles, they've just come back from exile. They're in Jerusalem. It's in ruins. They're trying to rebuild the city and especially the temple. And Zechariah says, do not despise the day of small things. And instead, rejoice when you're breaking ground, essentially. Rejoice in that day the same as you would if the temple were finished and fully constructed. Look for the kingdom in small things. Jesus said it's like a mustard seed. So special word to, to parents, especially with young kids. Talk about mundane, ordinary sometimes very frustrating, hidden, small life. And you wonder, am I doing anything to make a difference? The world around doesn't even notice this small, hidden work that I'm doing in raising these children. And yet Jesus would say, that's where I see the kingdom of heaven coming in. And I love to encourage parents and just say, just remember, your children are pagans apart from you. Okay? In other words, it's not normal or natural for people, starting as, as children and growing, to start reading the Bible, to learn how to pray, to go to church. 
to know what it means to follow Jesus, these things are modeled by you. They're taught and trained into these children that you are given charge over by you. So apart from you, your children are pagans, and they're also orphans. If you've ever had this longing or tug at your heart, oh, I, I want to serve in, in the marginalized and rough places of society. I want to serve the orphan and the fatherless. Well, apart from you, your children are orphans. And that word, of course, is not just to, to parents, but to aunts and uncles and honorary aunties and uncles, family friends, those who work in our res kids ministry, our, our res youth as well, to look at our children and our youth and say, this is the kingdom of heaven right here, maybe in small and hidden ways, but let's be about the work of investing in these small ways, trusting that in time this, these will be great and mighty trees. If you're investing in the life of a child, whether, again, it's your own or, or your niece or nephew or just some child that you're pouring into or youth, there is no greater contribution that you're going to make to the world or to the kingdom of heaven. That's a mustard seed, small, ordinary way that the kingdom of heaven comes on earth. Another example from a couple years ago when I was a youth pastor, um, we, one year we did this thing called Work It where every couple of weeks we'd show up and I'd have a list. I, I didn't title it that. That was Hattie. That was her idea. But we show up every two weeks and I'd have projects lined up for us to do, different things in families throughout the church. And one time I got a call from a woman who had chronic illness and she said, it's been really bad lately and I, I haven't cleaned my apartment in two months. Can you help? I said, absolutely. I'll bring a crew of high school students. So we're there. We're scrubbing toilets. We're, we're cleaning a mountain of dishes. We're vacuuming the floor. We're dusting. We're doing all of this. And the kids are ecstatic. They're bouncing off the walls. And Anna Longhurst, she says, Brett, we need to do this every week. This is amazing. Why am I having so much fun cleaning? And I said, because, Anna, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. This is what the kingdom of heaven feels like. And her mom later said, I want the kingdom of heaven to come to my house sometimes. <laughs> a final mustard seed way that we live this kingdom, on, kingdom of heaven on earth all the time is, is in your work. Most of you have a job. Some of you like your job. Some of you don't. But for us to understand and remember the primal importance of a job is to meaningfully contribute to society, yes, Every job does that, as long as it's not a criminal job. And then to bring an income home. And if you're doing these two things, then regardless of whether it's fulfilling for you or not, that is dignifying. It matters. God loves it. He wants to bless it. He wants to be in the details of your work. I remember getting a call from uh, Jack Urban one time, and he said uh, he does medical stuff, uh, like big uh, machines in hospitals that do things that I don't understand. And he fixes them when they're broken. And he called me one day. I said, how's it going? He said, well, we've been at this thing for, for days and we haven't figured out what's wrong. I said, well, let's pray about it. So we stopped and we just prayed. And he said, thank you for your prayer. He let me know the next day that 15 minutes later, they figured it out and solved the problem. So God wants to be in the small, ordinary stuff, even though the problems, when the wrench is thrown in the works of your work. And that's the kingdom of heaven on earth. It has value. It has dignity. God loves the ordinary daily stuff of life. When Paul's writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, he says, everything that God has created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving 
and set apart that is made holy through prayer and the Word of God. So everything God created, every small aspect of life is good and to be received as the kingdom of heaven itself. Or as Simon prayed a year ago, little four-year-old Simon, when it's his turn at the table, God, thank you for making the whole world yummy. There's a quote that I love from G.K. Chesterton's orthodoxy about God's capacity to enter into and even love the mundane and the monotonous. So Chesterton says, children want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. For grown-up people, we're not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately. He simply never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, but we have sinned and grown old, and we have a father who is younger than we are. So God exalts in the mundane. He loves the small and the ordinary. He wants to be in it, and he wants to be blessing it. So when you get together with friends for a meal, that's the kingdom of heaven. If you set it apart as such, if you enter into that reality with this awareness that God is with us, he's present with us all the time. A meal with friends replete with deep-bellied guffaws, that's the kingdom of heaven. A day's work done, a kitchen cleaned, the bills paid, that's the kingdom of heaven. A good night's sleep and a well-made bed in the morning when you get up, Making the bed is all the rage these days, apparently. <laughs> That's the kingdom of heaven. I even noticed our, our Hebrews passage, which was just the lectionary reading for today, but did you notice how ordinary it was? Love each other. Show hospitality. Although, talk about the extraordinary breaking into the ordinary. It says, when you show hospitality, sometimes there are angels that you're hosting. That's pretty awesome. Remember those in prison? Marriage should be honored. Strive for purity in your sexual relationships. Don't love money, but be content. Those are all really no normal, everyday, daily stuff. And as Christians, we say, yep, that's where we look for. That's where we see. That's where we want the kingdom of heaven to be breaking in. So we live in expectation that when we pray, thy kingdom come, it will. But that always starts small, like a mustard seed. Catherine of Siena, a medieval mystic, said to the servant of God, every place is the right place. Every time is the right time. To those who are looking for an opportunity for the kingdom of heaven to show up and for Jesus to show up through and in me, every place is the right place. Every time is the right time. There's never a time when you would not be able to be faithful to God and to say, what does the kingdom look like right here and right now? So the kingdom starts small like a mustard seed. Now I want to shift gears a little bit and take the last 15 minutes to talk about back to that balance, the idea that, all right, our life is supposed to be both extraordinary and ordinary. Where did these two come together? Where, where's the nexus of the ordinary and the extraordinary? Where does and how do we see the kingdom of heaven breaking in here on earth? And the answer has everything to do with prayer and how we pray. So we're going to spend the next 15 minutes here talking about prayer. And if you're a note taker, here are the things you want to write down. 
Last week we talked about living expectantly. Here are three things you need to know to pray expectantly, to pray in a way that the kingdom of heaven comes to earth. First, let the need lead. Second, be bold. Third, pray simply and specifically. So let the need lead. Be bold and pray simply and specifically. Let's talk about number one. What does it mean to let our needs lead? Well, actually, this is an incredible relief, right? Because if we're talking about an expansive reality such as the kingdom of heaven, you might think, how do I even begin to pray for that? And the answer is, in the needs that show up in your daily and ordinary life. That's where God and the kingdom of heaven is wanting to break in. And when a need shows up, now you have an opportunity, instead of only being frustrated, anxious, and having no idea what to do, you can actually pause, jump out of that anxious place and say, I believe in God and the kingdom of heaven. What would it look like for it to happen and show up right here, right now, in this problem, this crisis, in this need that I have? So if you're open to Luke, take a look at Luke 11. We see this right in the prayer that Jesus teaches us. Right after the phrase, your kingdom come, he says, then pray, give us each day our daily bread. So go from praying for the kingdom. How do you do that? Pray for your daily needs. That's where you're going to see the kingdom show up. Pray for your daily bread. And then he tells a story after he teaches on the prayer. Then he tells a story, a parable, where he's making the point that it was in the daily need of this guy who a visitor showed up. He had no food. So he goes next door to his friend or his neighbor, and he knocks, and he says, give me what? Bread. That's no accident that Jesus here is teaching to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And then in the next moment, he's telling a story about a man who wasn't asking for great, incredible things, but he's just asking for daily bread. So Jesus wants us to know, not only do you have permission to pray about the small stuff and the needs of your daily life, he's actually wanting you to lead with that when you're praying for the kingdom of heaven to come down to earth. So let need lead. And he says, I tell you, that friend who is representing God in this parable, that friend will rise and give him whatever he needs. I was reading a story recently about Billy Graham, who was preparing for a crusade at Shea Stadium, which is next to LaGuardia Airport. And when they were doing the sound check the day before, the the roaring of the planes was overhead, and he said, this is untenable. We, We can't do a crusade with this noise. So according to eyewitnesses, he stopped right there and he said, Lord, we ask that you would change the wind so that the flight patterns of the planes would be coming from a different direction. Thank you for hearing this prayer. Amen. And then went on with the preparations for the crusade. And the next three days, that's what happened. The winds changed, planes came from a different angle, and the noise level was reduced. Now, I find it really interesting that he didn't say, Lord, we pray that every single person in this, seat, in this stadium tonight will be converted to Jesus Christ. Now, of course, they were praying for that. They would have loved to have seen that. They would have wanted to see that. But isn't it interesting that what happens is he prayed for what he needed. What did Billy need? Well, he, he needed the planes to come from a different way. He needed the wind to change. That's what he needed in order to do what God was asking him to do. The part that was on him He prayed for help. He got what he needed. 
So we pray expectantly by letting the need lead. Second, we pray expectantly. We're bold. So be bold in your prayers about the small and ordinary stuff. Look at verse 8. Do you see the word there? Impudence. I had to look it up in the dictionary to to see exactly what it meant because I I had a feeling that it, it means something about boldness. Found out that it actually means offensive boldness. To the point where the editors of this Bible will put a little note and say, it could also mean persistence because they can't handle the scandal that Jesus is saying, in your prayers, I want you to be offensively bold. But that's what Jesus is teaching. That's what he's inviting and encouraging us to do. I think we're, we're timid, we're afraid, and a lot of times our heart's in the right place. We don't want to c- try to control God or manipulate him or, or tell him what to do. But remember that when we're praying, already there's a level of humility. Because when we're praying, we know that we've got nothing and he's got everything. So the very posture and the place of prayer is already humble. And once you're in that humble place, Jesus is saying, now pray boldly. We're afraid that we'll dishonor God if we're too bold. Actually, it honors him when you're honest and when you're bold and when you tell him what you need. That's what he wants us to do. It's right here in this story. God likes boldness. I think he's less impressed with prayers that are watered down and wishy-washy. And I've prayed plenty of these in my life. Well, Lord, this is what we want, but, you know, this would be fine too, and we're okay with whatever you want, so let your will be done in the end. Instead, I think he prefers, Lord, we ask that you would fill in the blank, change the wind. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. When you pray bold prayers like that, you will start to get answers you will start to see things happening. Now, it's true. Sometimes the answer we get is is a refusal. You've been asking for this thing. That's not what I'm going to give you, says your Father in heaven. But that's still an answer. And in that wrestling, you've come closer to the heart of the Father. You've come to that place where you're able to say, I trust that whatever he decides, it is good in the end. And I want to tell you something that I believe with all my heart, that even when the answer is no, or I have something different, that God is proud of you when you pray boldly. I think that's what he wants. I think God likes bold prayer. Jesus prayed boldly, and even Jesus had a bold prayer that was refused. Remember the night before he died? This is the ultimate example in unanswered prayer. He's praying. He knows he's come to the earth to die on the cross. He's told other people, that's my entire mission, that's why I'm here. And yet, the night before it's happened, in his full humanity and his desperation, he's saying a bold prayer. He's saying, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup. He states what he wants boldly. And what happens? The Father does not remove the cup. And so even Jesus, in his boldness, prays for something that he does not receive. And if that prayer had been answered, we would not be saved. And of course, how important it is that Jesus also did pray, nevertheless, your will be done. I accept the will of heaven. Paul, the apostle, pleaded three times that an illness or whatever he called the thorn in his flesh would be removed, and the Lord said, no, I have a different plan for you. 
In Acts 12, the church is praying fervently. They're praying for Peter. They're praying for James who are imprisoned. One of them gets beheaded. James gets beheaded. The other's released. They're praying fervently for both. So be bold in your prayers. If you expect something to happen, something will. If when you pray, you expect nothing to happen, nothing will. Now sometimes at this point, we have some objections, questions arise. Aren't you making God into a vending machine? I don't want God to be a vending machine any, any more than anybody else. You can't have a relationship with a vending machine. But those of you who would bring the vending machine critique, notice and see how full the scriptures are of this description of a father who gives good gifts to those who ask. And that what he wants is for us to come and to ask. Not a vending machine, not an ATM, but a father who wants to give to us more than we are currently coming to him to ask for. That is the father's heart's desire. That's the reason Jesus is telling this story. He says, I want you to know about my father in heaven, what kind of father he is. And yes, Jesus understands that it, it has to be more than just going after things and the gifts. That's why he gives us a threefold formula of ask, seek, and knock. Because we ask for the gift, but we seek the giver. And what's the knocking all about? Well, when you knock on the door, the door is opened. And the one inside says, come in, have fellowship with me, eat at my table, and know me. And Jesus is saying, that's the full package. Ask for the thing you need. Start there and don't be ashamed. But seek the giver. And ultimately, this is about that deep, abiding relationship with our Father in heaven that we live and we move in his presence, sitting at his table. And when we're in that place of abiding with the Father, in the same way that Jesus abided with the Father, then whether it's yes or whether it's no or whether it's something different, we're good with it because we're with the one who is good and we trust him. We have a story that we like to tell here at Resurrection. Definitely a story of, of the extraordinary coming into the ordinary. Certainly a, a story about bold prayer. And it all has to do with how we got this building. It's a story that many of you have heard before, but we love to tell it because it is just an incredible story. But on the one hand, it's about something rather ordinary. A building. All churches have buildings. All organizations and institutions have buildings. We, we need a roof over our head so that we can meet. In some ways, that's a very ordinary need, but in another way, it is a need. And God saw that we had a need for a facility, for a building, and he answered that in an extraordinary way. The short story goes like this. We've been pursuing land out in West DuPage. It was 21 acres, over $3 million, and we raised $1.2 million. Not enough to buy the land, let alone build on it. Stuart was really discouraged. We all were discouraged. We said, what are we capable of, or what are we not capable of, of actually doing financially? The night before Stuart was going to announce the number to the whole church, he gets a call from William Beasley, his spiritual father and mentor, who says, you know, I had a dream about the land and, 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 the, and building and all this, and I saw angels, and they were just counting the money, and the word for you is every dollar just the right amount, down to the dollar. And Stuart hangs up thinking, thanks, William. We didn't even get halfway to the goal. 
At that point, Catherine, Stuart's wife, said, well, if we can't buy a building, we should just pray and ask God to give us one. So she started praying boldly that God would give us a building. Fast forward a few years later. One of our parishioners, talk about mustard seed, he found a classified ad buried in the back of the newspaper about this building being on an auction. He comes and he buys it for $400,000. Now, not only was that money already in the bank for us, but in, in Wheaton, we can pretty much say that is giving us a building, all right? But this is the fun part. When he bought it, they said, well, you have to have cash on hand to do the necessary repairs to get the building up to code, because right now you can't even go inside it to do the renovation to make it a church. So before you, this sale is final, you have to have enough money on hand to bring it up to code. No money in the bank, no deal. Because of our previous work, we had $1.2 million in the bank. Guess how much the estimated cost to bring everything up to code was? $400,000 to buy the building, $800,000 for the estimated repairs, $1.2 million. Every dollar, everything we needed, right down to the dollar because of bold praying. And yeah, it's just a building. This building won't be here in 150 years. And we know that as a church, we are, we're more than our facility. So in one way, it's a very ordinary daily need that we had. And God answered it in an extraordinary way. So we let need lead, we pray with boldness, and then the last thing, we pray simply and specifically. Not that God doesn't love general prayers, but I think He really loves specific prayers. So your marriage is falling apart. Not that He doesn't love the prayer, God save my marriage, but I think the prayer that He really loves to answer is, God, tonight we're going to counseling. Would you give us the humility to listen well to each other, to admit what we've done wrong, and would you help us build trust tonight? That's a prayer he would love to answer. And sure, keep praying, God, save my marriage. But don't pray that generally without getting specific and saying, here's what's before us today. Jesus did amazing things with few words, or sometimes not at all. Be healed. Take up your bed and walk. Lazarus, come forth. Go in peace. The demon has left your daughter. Few words, simple, and he commanded. Even the story about Billy Graham, right? It was like one sentence prayer. God changed the winds. We need this. And it's a lesson that God is teaching me afresh. It's one I've learned before, but he's teaching me afresh again in the last probably month or two how much he loves Simple, small, but specific prayers. Prayed with boldness and belief that our Father in heaven is good and based off of the need that's right in front of us. So my hope is that today, in this year, as we step into this year, we would step in with that kind of faith that is looking for the kingdom of heaven to come. We're living expectantly, saying we're citizens of a kingdom that is not of this earth but we're looking for it to come in the small nooks and crannies right around us. So we're living expectantly, but to see that heaven breaking in happen, we're praying expectantly, and we're letting our needs guide the way. We're being bold in our prayers, and we're having the faith to say, I can be simple, I'm going to be specific, and I'm going to trust the Lord with what happens. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.